Hey everybody, this is Rita Springer. Welcome again to the Rita Springer podcast. I just was thinking about uh, podcasts uh, that I want to to do, and I thought, man, I just meet with so many different, really great producers on sometimes a day to day basis that I'd love to do a series on just producers. Most of these producers are writers as well as uh, as producers and creatives, and so I just thought I'd start a series just talking to producers and um, just seeing how they think uh, and information that they um, have come down through and how what the, how they've learned and how they've learned to produce and all kinds of stuff. So I am here today with the great Michael Howe. Michael, you're in Texas, right? I am. You God's are, country. Are, you're a native Texan, aren't you? I'm not. I was actually born in a small town in Oklahoma, and we, my dad was a pastor, so we moved all over God's green earth, Oklahoma and Texas and Arkansas. And I landed here just out of high school in Texas. And I've pretty much, outside of a brief stint in Nashville and California, Texas is home. So well, you something do. about being in Texas, I don't know what the deal is. It's Texans are very proud of Texas, even if you're not really from there. I have that same sense. Yeah. Of Texas pride, you know. Well, you have I call that, it home. You have that southern, almost Texas draw to you. I've been here long enough. I <laughs> yeah, should. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I um, I raised my kid primarily in in North Carolina and Charlotte and and Dallas, and he doesn't have an accent. He talks like he's from California, like me. <laughs> yeah, same with my kids. Somehow they just didn't get it. That's so funny. I thought for sure he'd come out with a Texas accent when he was little. He would say bat like you know he'd draw those ats out a little bit but he uh-huh. doesn't do that so much anymore so wow <laughs> i mean that's one thing i'm like texas is so strong you can't get out of there without having that accent oh yeah oh yeah it gets out. in your blood i mean i could i could i could talk more southern than i try if i'm going to talk like i'm from england that doesn't go over well but boy i can sure sound <laughs> like i'm southern most people think i'm from new york though i think it's cuz of the lower texture in my voice most people think i'm a I'm a rough New Yorker. <laughs> you sound very intelligent with an edge, oh, well. you know. There you go. Like, don't mess with me. Oh, my God. And I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for just being on this podcast. I, oh, man, my pleasure. I'm honored. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just, I wanted to get a list of people that I just know love the Lord, obviously, but, but just are great producers. And I'm in the room with some of the best kind of producers. And I think I've been so inspired more by production than I have by just, you know, being around great musicians. I mean, great musicians are incredible inspiration, but when you're in a studio with a producer, like even in, in these song rights that I have, usually there's a producer in that, in that right. And I realize I'm way more inspired as they start making the demo to, to find lyrics and melodies and stuff like that because of, of them just being there trying to create that. Yeah. And I wish I had the production edge. I think I do in my head. Like I know what I want when I'm recording an album. I know what it's what I want it to sound like. But I'm just really fascinated by how producers think um, because I, I you guys kind of think in layers. You know, you think, you think all about those layers of uh, start to finish. And yeah, so I just the, like, end, the end from the beginning. <laughs> the end from the beginning. It's really quite, it's fascinating to me, the technical side of it. I wish 
I mean, I guess if I put myself in there to really learn, um, you know, sometimes I think you out yourself when you're a certain age and you're like, oh, I'm too old to learn all that. Now my kid does it. So my kid's all about Logic Pro and all about all that kind of stuff. And anything he needs to know, he, he learns on the internet, which is fascinating nowadays. But Different world, man. You can learn anything on YouTube. World. Yeah. If loving children in need is important to the Lord, it should be paramount to us. That's why I decided to partner with Compassion International to be the hands and feet of Jesus where we're able. That's what I want to do. And I, I want to ask you to ask yourself, what are you able to do? Go to the Compassion site today at Compassion.com slash Rita and explore the ways your small contribution can change someone's life. If you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to my episode with Jay. His story will show you how you can truly make a difference in someone's life. Visit Compassion.com slash Rita. But I, I love the art of production. I love the creativity of production, that start to finish thing. That's not all you do, but can you just kind of tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to, to the life that you're living now, the, the, what you produce, how you in that journey, how you got to that journey? Because did you start off as a worship leader? I started off as a preacher's kid, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is back in the days. I'm I'm 52, and so so this is before churches really had great gear, or yeah. you know, I remember being at being in a service and discovering what a monitor was that you know the person on stage had their own feed to yeah. actually hear what they're doing outside of what was being projected to the rest of the congregation. And um, so we, very, very small churches my whole life, a very humble means, and kind of out of necessity, I became, we were not just the leading worship, you know, me and my mom and, and my sister in church, and my dad was a pastor, but we were also cleaning the bathrooms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were the sound person, and we were the overhead, if you remember the overhead oh, yeah. projector that it's Elevation Worship kind of brought back with the the uh, their record a couple years ago. But but we did everything, and so kind of out of where that, that translates for music is uh, I had these songs in my head as a young kid and I had to figure out, okay, I live in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas and I've got to figure out how to get what's in my head out for people to hear. And so I had no, no internet, you know, no, I had no idea of knowing other than what's in front of me, what can I use? And so I had a couple of tape recorders and I thought, well, okay, if I, if I record the drum parts from my drum set on yeah. this tape and then I play this tape back and record bass with the drums onto to the the other tape deck and just keep bouncing back and back and forth then i can get i can get all this out and get all this down and so that method it's one take you know so i spent hours trying to get the perfect drum take perfect bass take of course in the end you cut the vocal and the vocal's nice and crisp and beautiful and everything else gets darker and darker right right <laughs> depending on when it got recorded but but that was kind of the start for me and i i loved that process of of having something in my mind and being able to follow it through from from the beginning, and you know, of course, the experimental side of like having these happy accidents that that wasn't something you were intending to do, but oh, I bumped into this thing and it made this cool sound. Let me put that in there too. So that's that's kind of the start for me, and it's funny because um, it, it's always hard when people say, "What do you do?" I can't really narrow that down to one thing because 
I still love the church, you know, I'm, I'm in, really involved in my church and I love pastoring and, and to a degree, that's kind of where it all lands for me is in pastoring, even in the production, from a production standpoint, I, I really see producing as pastoring, mm-hmm. pastoring a gift, pastoring a project, pastoring a person. Most of the time, for me, it just gets personal when you're spending long hours with uh, with someone. And if you really, you know, want the record to be more than just music, the things, the conversations and the space in between when the red light's on and when it's off, I believe all that stuff kind of gets on the record, you know. So, so my approach to to producing all that is it's not, it's not just recording. It's not just, you know, arranging and, and the technical side, it's the, you know, the soul side and the relational side, the stuff that's going on in the room, which, you know, plays into having the right people together that are going to have the right vibe and, and bring the right kind of energy to what you're doing as well. You know, do you feel like that? I, I feel like that most producers, especially those that, that I've known and worked with, they all come from a sense of, there is a sense of perfectionism on you guys, not actually in the bad sense, but in the good sense of you, you have to, you have to almost be, your ear almost, almost has to be um, keen to every detail in sound and like, I find it fascinating because there are some producers where early on when I started, I met up with some producers that really didn't care about my sound, but they cared about what they were producing. And so if you came in to to have them work for you, you ended up sounding like the way they wanted you to, to sound. So when you're talking about pastoring people in the midst of that, it's actually kind of amazing because then there are producers like you who when you find them and you find kind of that certain person that you work with that actually wants to know about what you're, the sound coming out of you, as opposed to their gift actually making you sound like what they want you to sound like. Does that make sense? Like, Well, it's just, it's like mining for, okay, let's find out what's in there. You know, a lot of times it's very common now for especially an independent artist to be their producer and their songwriter, just and yes, do it all at a yes. desk. My son does that. But I think that there's a great value in having someone that's looking deep into your soul yeah. and saying, I see something deeper. I see something more there. And then pulling that out of someone, it's almost like, it's almost like prophecy, like prophesying, like I see this in you. I'm, I'm going to pull that out. I'm going to call that out of you. And if there's one thing that the world is hungry for, it's truth. And so what's in you that you're not letting out? What is, what's there beneath this lyric? Because this sounds deeper than what I'm hearing right now. And so, so getting to that true authentic place in an artist, that's where the magic is because people, the truth just sounds different, man. When you can get to that place and you can really say what's deep on the inside, it's a, that's where the, that's where the magic is for me. So. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's almost like a, um, the producer and the artist, when they're working together, there's magic that can totally be created. But I always tell new artists who are asking me questions about like, how do I do a first album? What do I look for? I, I was just actually recently talking to a young and brilliant gal out of Nashville who is is just starting her new record. And I'm like, 
your first producer is going to be your first experience at everything. You've got to find the, the, the kind of producer that you love what he or she does, because if you don't, you're going to end up with a record that doesn't sound like you because you're not going to partner with somebody because it really is a partnership. You know, I, I remember years and years ago, there was a, um, a friend of mine uh, that um, made her first record and she hired this country producer. Well, she didn't sing country. She didn't like country. She didn't even, but he was the one that was recommended to her. And what she got out of it was a country album because there really wasn't a partnership. He was just the kind of producer that that's all he did. So he produced her country. And when her album kind of was finished, I said to her, I'm like, do you, do you love this? Like, you sound like a country singer. I never knew you wanted to be country. And she said, I, I didn't want to be country. That's just how you made me sound. And I was like, yeah, that you have to find somebody that partners with you in where you're going, what you want to do. And, and that truly can actually listen to you and be like, okay, let's do this. And I think that's so great that that's, I think, part of the pastoring element, because if you like, l- let me just ask you this question. What is your, the, your most favorite kind of production to do? Like, is it rock? Is it, is it um, worship? Like, what do you love to do? What one comes through the door do, are you like most excited about? Yes. <laughs> I like real people. I like, I like having a group of people in the room. And a lot of times that's going to be country or, or yeah. rock or obviously worship. A lot of times the worship thing nowadays starts with some kind of skeleton uh, track that everybody's got in their ears, at least kind of a vibe to get everybody going with. But I like, I still think there's something special about humans making music. And so my place out here is kind of set up to a little more old school, all analog front end, you know, real instruments. Not that we can't do the other, but just get everybody in a room and, and, play off of each other, if that makes sense. Like when you're playing and someone else is releasing a sound that's never been released before at the same time, there's just this wild synergy, you know, and sometimes frustration when one guy isn't isn't pulling his weight, you know, but, but that's my favorite is to get, get everybody in the same room. And um, I love doing vocals that way. I love if somebody's doing a a duet uh, to have have them set up, you know, where they can see each other and and really sing off of one another or play off of of one another. So when you when you started doing that early on in your dad's church, how did you then did you like go to school for it? Did you just keep learning like as it comes? Like, how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Well, I was going to be a school teacher. I actually got a, I graduated early when I was 16. I got a full scholarship to be a school teacher. And my first semester, I got a job working part-time at a recording studio that had eight tracks, which totally blew my mind. And uh, analog, this is all before, you know, the dig world. And um, I figured out really quick, I mean, I was like, yeah, I begged them to let me work there. I'll do the trash. I'll clean the whatever, you know, just let me in here. And I lived at that place. And I found out really quick, I if I want to do this, this is my school. Being in the room with these bands and and these engineers and figuring out how to do this. And so I, I dropped out of school and started working in that uh, studio. And then I moved to Dallas. There was a Christian artist that later signed to Motown that had a studio 
here in Dallas. This is like 89, I think, 90. I moved here uh, to be a part of a Bible study and to just get integrated into that world. That relationship led to a position with a, an engineer that's kind of a world-renowned guy that worked on Steve Miller Book of Dreams, um, the song Fly Like an Eagle. and. Wow. Heart Barracuda, like really a pioneer in in those early days of the way rock and roll sounded, you know, when drums started to sound more defined and that kind of thing. He was a really a part of that. And so so we're still on analog tape, you know, moved into like a 24 track, then a 48 track scenario. And uh, there's where I really, you know, and those were the days where you couldn't even touch the console. You know, you were just there to get coffee, to put the tape on the machine and to make yeah. sure everybody was taken care of very much a, you know, humble yourself. You're the low guy on the totem pole. You know, you're very aware of that. And everybody else is you're there to serve. And I, I really think that 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 hospitality element, that servanthood element is a step that gets skipped by the music process nowadays because there was such a high respect for these players and, you know, I remember working with, this is going way back now, Abe Laboreal and, and Hadley Hawkinsmith and Bill Maxwell and, and uh, Justo Almario and Don Potter on these sessions. And, and it's just like, man, these guys are just monsters, yeah. you know, with such history. And through serving those guys getting them coffee, being there for them. What can I get for you? Making sure that they're comfortable. If I see them squinting or I see they need another light or whatever, there was something about that serving process that made me better at what I do. You know, it kind of like I I was, I was kind of by humbling myself, I was kind of promoting myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, it's kind of hard nowadays without those opportunities to serve and you're just just you and your computer banging it out. Of course, yeah. you can you can find other ways to do that. But but that was kind of my progression from. So I went from the bedroom, you know, when I was a kid, to those two tape recorders, to the eight track studio, to just filling in, assisting wherever I could, booking some time here and there in studios, to finally working with this world class guy who was really my mentor, to eventually buying that studio wow. and setting up camp here in Texas. Yeah. So you bought. Eventually, you ended up buying that particular studio. Yeah. And then did you you just run that? (laughs) Well, I bought bought the contents of the studio, I I guess I should say, about the time that we bought this property. And I really just wanted the console that was there, but they said, you got to buy it all. And so it was like buying a house, you know, and so a lot of vintage tube gear and stuff. And so I talked to my wife and and, uh, we felt like it was the right thing and we bought it. And, And interestingly enough, we... I got a bunch of stuff that I didn't want that was highly uh, sought after some tube microphones and things that were, you know, these microphones were, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 microphones that I didn't have the capacity to, to keep up to have a full-time yeah. tech. So I actually sold a big lot of microphones to Stevie Nicks and paid for most of the studio from that microphone sales. That's so, insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you probably still have, because your studio is so great up there. You probably still have equipment that, is it hard to find now? Some of your equipment in um, there? A lot of the companies like Neve, you know, I have a bunch of the Neve preamps, but they're new Neve preamps okay. that have a warranty. 
<laughs> that actually work. And so a lot of the older analog gear, like the, the Teletronics LA-2A and things like that, I have that stuff, but most of that for me is new stuff that, that works when you plug it in and it's not, you know, 50 years old and you got to hold it just right and breathe just right for it to work. So I do have some, some analog stuff, but it's kind of just in the rack. The older stuff is just like fun to have around, but not used as much. Now I have a question just about that, about the equipment type of a thing, because do you find that sometimes the sound quality is more authentic with the, with that older stuff or that, that there's, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm when I'm going back and I'm listening to some of these projects that were done with this equipment that that they just don't use anymore. It, yes, it's maybe not as clear, but there's something so organic about it. Yeah. And, and so yes, it's a vintage, but it's almost just still so pure. It, it just feels pure to me. Do you find that as a producer that you like working with that stuff because it? feels more authentic and organic in what you're creating? Oh, absolutely. There's something that happens with sound. For for instance, the the Neve Pre's that I track drums through. Yeah. They have these transformers in them. And and when that electrical current hits the circuitry of that thing, it, it creates these subharmonics of yeah. the sound that are not there in a digital environment. You, you have to... You know, mixing, you know, it all goes in the box. Yeah. But getting to the box, I found that the more analog front end you have, it makes a bigger difference when you have it all playing back together. You, you, you may just be playing an acoustic guitar, you know, by itself, you might not hear as much of a difference. But when all that stuff gets meshed together in a mix down, you really begin to see how it helps everything kind of sit together in the right way. But I, I love the, the analog world. And, you know, even... You know, I think about like an old rotary telephone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you pick that thing up and you put it up next to your ear. It, there's just something about that, especially if you're you're recording people. You know, you have live instruments and that kind of thing. Just about the analog world, staying in that world. We're analog, Rita. Me and you are analog. I know, I know. And it's, it's and harder to tell like a younger generation. Like my kid would have no idea about that world. Right. You know, he's on. But you're, everything's, everything's getting converted to ones and zeros, you yeah. know, on your phone, every picture that you take. You know, there's, there's, there is a process, an analog process for film to make a picture. And there's just something beautiful about it that, is not as beautiful when you you had to take it through a process to get it there. You know, when you yes. have the right camera with the right lens and yes. the right lighting and the right person holding it and they've got one chance to snap it, then you've got to wait <laughs> right. to develop it, yeah. you know. I just, there's a romance about that that I think, again, is a part of the, you know, it gets in the music. Yeah, I think that's what I miss. I miss the, yeah. um, I want to say the word hardship of it, but there was something... There was something more glorious in the end result because and was, a commitment. Yeah, because you had to really like being in the studio if, back in the day making a record. You know, it was just like it was a long process, but it was such an exciting process because it was you were pressing something that had to wait for it to sound a certain way. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm thankful for how quick it is to make a demo, how easy it is to make a sure. demo now. But I almost, I keep telling my my 18-year-old who's about ready to 
head off to college for music. He wants to produce and he wants to do audio engineering. And I'm like, man, you need to take some of those old school classes where like you are learning on an old board and you don't just learn all this logic pro tool thing, but you learn all of this old stuff so that it's almost like, you know, the, he's a, he's a, uh, loves, you know, rap music. And I'm like, you can't negate old rap, man. You got to go yeah. back to, <laughs> you got to go back to the old rappers. Like you got to understand everybody from start to finish because yeah. nowadays, you know, they'll just take the, latest and the greatest. And I'm like, that ain't rap. You need to get back to the Compton days, you know? So I love Rick Rubin. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with him. I've He's one of my favorite producers. And um, I love his commentary on things like this because it really, it really is important to know how you got to where you are just as it is. It's important for us to know our history, yeah. to know where we've come from, to know how far we've come, to know where we need to grow. And with music, I, I love watching documentaries and just seeing yeah. people's histories and being on their journey because it, it's so much more ma- meaningful when you go back to the roots of things, you know. Yeah, it really is. I I was so captivated as a as a you know young in my young twenties. I just thought um, my favorite producer at the time was Glenn Ballard because I just I thought what he did oh, with yeah. Alanis Morissette was just insane. You know, oh, that record about, changed my yes. life. And talk about developing an artist and being on a journey together to go from having just kind of met each other, writing songs to Jagged Little Pill coming out. I mean, that album was just like, it was insanity to me. Yeah. Musically, production wise, lyrically, just over the top, you know? And I, I think I got such a love for the articulation of start to finish from that record, which is, I know it's, it's like when you're, when you're doing Christian music and you're, you're talking about, you know, this <laughs> secular entity, the, the hard part about, about, about it for me as a creative is that we've got this insane creative God who's unlimited in potential, but sometimes yeah. as Christians, we never pull on that potential and the world's pulling on potential all the time, but we don't ask for like revolutionary potential in our creativity. And we've got the creator as our BFF. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm always pressing into these young artists. Look, you can go beyond, don't compare yourself to a Taylor Swift or, or, I mean, those are incredible artists, but do you realize you actually, you can actually go beyond that and don't limit yourself just because you're a Christian yeah, and you're creative. Absolutely. Expression. I mean, one of the things that, you know, and growing up in the church, I'm so grateful for my heritage, but we didn't do a great job of that individuality, pulling that out no. of somebody. And that, that thing that God does with the, with all of us, you know, we all have, of all the billions of people that have ever lived, there's no two fingerprints that match, you know, yeah. no DNA is the same. And so there's that, that individuality and that expression that is a godly expression. Gosh, it would have, seems like it would have been so much easier just to make everybody exactly the same, you yeah. know, or to just have a few different shades of skin and a few different shades of hair, but everybody is unique. And I, People talk about, you know, coming up with that new sound or that new expression. And I really believe that it's it's not necessarily something that hasn't been done before, but it's what's 
real to you. It's authenticity. What is is really, really true to you. And a lot of times with artists, they'll bring in all these references of records, which I love. And they, I love this artist. I love this record. And I love that. But okay, let's take all that reference and set it to the side and go, now, who are you? And right. what's your sound? And what's real to you? Because it could be as simple as Johnny Cash and a acoustic guitar, you know, right. and that could be revolutionary if it's authentic and it's true. That's people's ear are ears are attuned to that. Humans know truth when they hear it. And when I say truth, I'm talking about that authentic thing. Like be be true to yourself. Don't be a copy. Yeah. And I, I find it a little disappointing that, you know, when I go on a trek, as you go on, a, uh, on like a little hike once a once a month through music, and I just start trying to find new artists and, and I go through the independent artists and, and I, I'm just, sometimes I'm just like so disappointed that if I'm looking in the, in the Christian genre, I, I kind of find the same thing over and over and over and over. But if I'm looking in kind of the mainstream genre, there is all of this willingness in independent artists to like, to take it into a different direction musically, you know, uh, yeah. The way they do uh, uh, lyrically and melodic with their hooks, I'm like, come on, Christians, what are you doing? <laughs> so it is interesting. It's like when we, you know, I'm I'm in my late 50s now, and I'm like, I'm so thankful that I've always tried to keep my finger almost to the pulse of what's happening now to understand it and learn from it, as opposed to always just listening to the same radio station I've listened to my whole life. It's like, yeah. there's no fun in that. Um, yeah. And I think it's why I can champion young kids like my son who, you know, they're listening to drill and trap and rap. And, you know, when Justice was in the sixth grade, I didn't know what trap music was. And when he started listening to it, I, I'm like, this is actually quite fascinating. Like, <laughs> this is just like loops and sounds and somebody recording everything and making it into a loop. And I thought, how ingenious is this? You know, yeah. so it's really it's really awesome to hear you kind of I think that's what you mean in pastoring. It's like pastoring them to. Yeah, all these things are great. But who are you? And, yeah. and some of this stuff makes you tick. But then what actually makes you, you know, makes you fly? And, yeah. and, and what's the what's the end result of this? Yeah. Like a lot of times with artists, it's like what happens after we finish this record? You know, what's the right. plan? What's the goal? What do you want to accomplish with this? You know, so really seeing that the same way a pastor would say to somebody, you know, what's where's God taking you? What do you feel in your heart? Like what's your vision for your life? Those same principles apply to the music thing, you know, and just thinking ahead, you know, looking to the future and building around that. That's so great. Now, do you, if if you, because you've had in your journey, you you did do worship leading. Like you you are a worship leader too and a songwriter, right? Oh yeah. I just spent a week in Europe leading worship. So. Yeah. So how did you, like, do you miss that? Do you miss doing that like in, in more of a full-time thing? What do you do more full-time? Do you do production more full-time or do you just do it all? I lead worship at my church when I'm in town. So if I get back, you know, a lot of times I'll get back late on a Saturday night from a conference and I'll be at church on Sunday morning leading worship. And, you know, and in that, not just I'm the guy out front, I'm looking to push the young ones out. That's like kind of my goal is to really, really pull on the younger generation and 
you know, get them to have that their expression of worship, give them the place that I kind of feel like, you know, when I was coming up, it was always like, you're not really ready yet. That kind of thing. Like I, the younger, the better nowadays and like stick them out there and just let them, let them make mistakes and pick them up and go, that's okay. You know, let's, let's grow from this. But yeah, I'm, I don't really miss any of it because I'm doing it all. <laughs> yeah. I'm leading worship. You know, I got back yesterday, day before yesterday, Sunday night, and hopped in the studio the next day. I got a record that I got to get some mixes done on this week. And I find that it actually keeps things super fresh to be able to jump from one role to another, being on stage in front of thousands of people and then being alone in the studio, you know, doing mixes and edits yeah. and vocal tuning and that kind of thing. So. And you've got kids that are kind of following you in uh, oh, the yeah. music field, right? How many kids do you guys have? Two kids. They're both in their 20s. My daughter just got married. Oh, yeah. <laughs> To a great guy, great bass player, MD, you know, great dude that loves loves God. Um, and we're at, we actually have a family band called The New Sound is Family, and we travel and do family conferences together, a few conferences a year, and we lead worship together. The whole family. My son, yeah, yeah. My, um, my son has a mainstream independent thing going and he's just killing the game. He's um, a very devout believer, but has chosen to have his expression in the, in the mainstream market. He's, just, he's blowing it up. That's yeah. Amazing. And what is he a sync writer? Is he just like in a band? He's doing it right. He's, he's an independent artist, John Michael Howell, um, oh, wow. shameless plug. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's got about 500,000, Spotify monthly listeners. He's making wow. a great living. He got gets lots of sync through uh, Music Bed. He's got a deal with them. He's had he did one deal with Universal early on on one song and found out they're not really doing anything for me that I can't do on my own. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but he's got a, at the age of twenty four. He's twenty three or twenty four. He's um, he's got about a hundred songs out, and he's just he's. He's a hard worker. He's got a good work ethic and he's a student. He's constantly learning, constantly growing. He's constantly networking and meeting other artists. And he's a, he's a very much an entrepreneur and a great producer and songwriter and all that stuff. Wow. So yeah, he's, he's doing it. And he still kind of hangs out with you in the family band. It, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm so blessed. As a matter of fact, when I was in, he led worship for me at church a couple Sundays when I was, okay. he was with me on one one week in Europe and then he I went back and he came he came back and led worship for me on Sunday so he's still very much integrated into the church world but personally his music is you know is mainstream and he's a TikTok guy and yeah yeah a that's a whole yeah. different world isn't it <laughs> It sure is, man. I know it's weird. You pop me in a video every once in a while. Oh, so you get to be the old dude that's like, what's a TikTok, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole, that's their world. It's like their, yeah, their totally. whole, you know, division of, of stuff. I'm like, I, I just can't even begin to go down that road right now. What it's a like, world, man. It is a world all its own. Yeah. Now, tell me a little bit about Go Deep. Now, is Go Deep still a band that you and your wife do? Or are you? Not is, really. Okay. Yeah, it that was, you know, and our kids grew up in the road on the road. We decided early on that was really from years like 2000 to 2009 or 10. And we um, on the kind of the front edge of the modern worship thing or what it's become, we kind of came in at a great time where then there was a beginning to be be a need for modern worship bands. And there just weren't a lot of bands that 
were like, hey, we do worship and we're, yeah. you know, de- Delirious kind of broke around that time yeah. and Sonic Flood and yes. some things like that. Yes. And so we were right in there with those guys. We we did the independent thing before independent was a thing, really. You know, right. we we had some good management friends and got on some great gigs where we were playing right alongside everybody that was on the radio and um, kind of what my son's doing now, we kind of forged the way, you know, before there was social media or any of that stuff, we were making our own records and mixing them and getting the same people to work on them that were working on the, we just figured out, Hey, we could hire, just hired the same people that a label would hire and do this ourselves, you know, and actually make a good living, you know? So we did that until about 2010 and our kids were, I guess they would have been like 11, 12, 13 during that time. And we felt they've grown up on the road with us. Let's take some time and just really invest in them. And about that time, we moved back to Texas and we got involved in Gateway Church and just plugged them in. And they they so beautifully drew on the gifts that the kids um, were developing musically. And so um, we kind of thought we were done for a while as far as the live uh, worship thing. And one day I told my wife, I don't think I'm done yet. I think that I think God's got some more for us in this area. And she said, well, why don't you just ask him to like open up the door for that? And so I did, you know, don't you love how God does those little simple, like, oh, why don't you just ask me? (laughs) And so I did. And he opened up a huge door to me that kind of just opened up a new vein of being a worship leader for conferences and churches and kind of being a go in and kind of consult and maybe if some a church is in transition or they need somebody to come in and father a team that maybe had had been through like a rough spot coming in for a certain period of time consistently to kind of build the team up and pour into them and speak into them and just be around them you know so that was that go deep was like 2000 2009 or 10 and then we kind of transitioned into producing records traveling leading worship some more and then Around 2018, our family started uh, doing music, writing music, performing music together. That's amazing. What a journey. Good grief. Yeah, I'm living the dream. Yeah. I say that all the time. <laughs> what um, What are some of the uh, the most favorite things that you've worked on for people? Like what, what when you look back and I'd be like, oh, that was such a great, that was such a great record or that was such a great production journey for me. Man, most of them are independent artists that, you're just yeah. they're such great writers um there's a record i did with this guy jacob miller not the jacob miller everybody knows but another jacob miller that was just a great record he's a great songwriter and it was just so fun to produce and he just he was so young and just it, he would try anything you know and yeah. so that was that was a lot of fun. I love Anthony's one of my favorites. Anthony, it's always cool to get to work with your heroes. You know, yeah. Anthony had this record called forever in a day. Yes. And it, that record rocked my world. And, and, you know, fast forward a few years and he's coming down here from, from Nashville to hang out in my studio and cut vocals and guitar and just get to be a part of uh, his, his record. And I pulled him in on a, some uh, collective things that we did together. I love working with churches. I love doing live records, producing live records with churches and the pre-production process of doing live worship records. And um, man, it would be hard to <laughs> it'd be yeah. hard to put my finger on one. There's a country, kind of a, I guess he's country, he's known as a country artist named Josh Weathers that I absolutely love. He's a, a great, great friend. And I've done a few records with him and he's 
He's always a blast to work with. I love it when people kind of recognize the role of a producer and it's not, it's not a fight. Like they fully trust you and know that you have their best interests at heart. And Josh is one of those guys that just comes in and goes, let's go, let's do this. What does this need? Where does this need to go? And it's so, so great to, to be a, a team in that way and not have to work through any weird agenda issues, you know, yeah. just like, let's, let's make this awesome. So have you ever like had somebody come in that you just felt like this one's going to be this, this, there's something on this person and then you got to like develop them from kind of start to finish and see them off into the sunset? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, in especially in the early days, um, working with some young bands, just be their first experience in the studio yeah. and to see them sign record deals and go on and, you know, you never hear from them. Right, again. right, right. Yeah. But, um, but I love that part. I love, I love that newness and that freshness of a, of a young artist. And again, that artist development thing, it's hard for me to just say, here, I'm going to make a record for you. It's just business. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a, a relational connection there. And then that bleeds into every other other part of life. It always ends up being a confidant and a, a, a listening ear. And, you know, if there's any advice that I can give along the way and encouragement in other areas, that all seems to, to kind of play into the process as well. Now, what about like, I know that in production, and I know this in general, you know, just talking to so many people about, about the, the way that we, in the Christian world, it's like, CCLI and all those things have kind of become this thing that that in the Christian world it looks more and more like if you do this you get an award for it you get it there is a beauty in doing something really great and accomplishing something where they give you an award to say hey you really did this really great but there's almost like a you have to you always have to like have your heart in check that that's not what it's about and you've You've just, to me, you've always come off as the as the kind of guy that would care more about what the Lord thinks than what the world thinks. Um, Absolutely, it's a it's an internal, it's integrity. Yeah, you know, it's um, not that I've always done it right, but I learned early on. There was this amazing book called Honor that I read that talked about the integrity of God's word and and how we are to live our lives with that same integrity as ambassadors of the kingdom and that you know in the small things that means picking up the piece of paper that missed the trash in the airport bathroom you yes. know i could just walk by you know there's that that integrity of heart that says no let me tend to another man's prosperity let me make it so that the person that cleans the bathroom doesn't have to do this i'm the one that threw it down let me take personal responsibility and pick up my trash and put it in a daggum trash can you know so it's a it's a satisfaction of knowing you did what's right or what's true because it's right or true regardless of outcome regardless of if nobody ever sees what you did or not it's it builds something on the inside of you just doing what's right i believe is is called integrity but does it ever like is it is it a struggle sometimes when you you stay in it and stay in it and stay in it? And stay? I'm, I'm almost asking this from an honest perspective too. Like I know that we all want our what we do to to find success, right? We're doing it. We're making a living at what we're doing, but there is this 
kind of tense dance that you do with with wanting to be successful for the sake and keep your integrity, wanting to see what you're what you're putting out there work, but not wanting that to become the goal and, and with which why you do it. And it seems like in the industry that is the faith-based Christian industry, there's so much now about the accolades. There's so much vying for that kind of that attention of awards and CCLI and all those things that it's hard to find the integrity right now. And I think I've, in the last year, I've been so kind of stunned with, uh, because I'm, I'm older and I talk to a lot of different younger artists and the, there are some that carry the integrity, they carry the purity, but a lot of them aren't raised, haven't been raised in, this is what worship is in its purity, or this is what you know, we're, we're trying to talk about in Christian music and its purity. It's more like we can make a lot of money at this and we can become famous. And how is that from you on the, on the production side of stuff where, where's the tension for you in that, you know, in your fifties, do you ever like, are you ever having those conversations with the Lord? Like, what do you, do you like, if this st- stops working, Am I going to, what do I, what do I need to do, God? Like, what do, I, do, you, do you ever have those kind of like moments where you're like trying to figure it out? I guess it's so, it's so ingrained into me to just make sure that the why is right all the time. Yeah. Knowing that I believe that, you know, the Bible says as long as the earth remains seed time and harvest. And I believe that, that mm-hmm. the world kind of, the world calls it karma, yeah. but I believe, I believe, and I'm not talking about from a works perspective, I'm just, I'm talking about making choices and decisions from a place of truth, from a place of honor, from a place of integrity and making sure that the why now, why am I doing this exactly? And make it, and I think it's okay to want, to want the hit, to want everybody to be singing the song that God gave you. I think that that's, there's a, there is a very, there's something in us that wants to be seen. Um, And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that you can be humble and find the, pleasure of being being seen and being heard. We all need that. It's a part of the human psyche, you know, um, but making sure that the why that I'm doing it is, is at the root is not from a place of, I need to get this accolade or I need to get this thing because that's going to make me whole. Knowing that I'm a son first above all else and getting my worth from, from my father and then, you know, having ambition in, in a good sense and having drive to like, we're going to, we're going to make this the best. This is going to have the best chance of success that it possibly can because we're, we're doing it right. And, you know, you always get things like I've got a, a couple gold records and a platinum record, but they're not from things that you ever thought in a million yeah, years. Yeah. It's not from the stuff you like really worked hard on or anything, yeah. you know, and then you get them and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And, and I like those things because I feel that it gives me more influence. And in the end, because I know that I'm walking close to God and I know that it's my job to establish his kingdom on the earth. You know, it's like if I was making fried chicken, I'd be the want to be the best fried chicken maker <laughs> on the planet because I yeah. know that's going to give me more influence. So I'm making music. I want to have the most influence. I know that those things give me more influence. So my desire in getting those things and those accolades and getting that platform or maybe getting an award would be so that I can, 
use that to have more influence for the things that really matter, which is establishing God's kingdom in the earth. Yeah, and I do think it's important to to point out that when when you have such a long trek um, holding integrity, there's a whole different mentality that you go about doing anything that you do. Uh, you know, I mean, I I do think that in when as you get older and you and you do you do a project or you produce something, you will always want the best for that thing, right? We always want the best yeah. for that thing, and I think it's so great that you pointed out. I think it's in us. God put in us the ability to be noticed. I always think of um, what is it? Mark is it Mark five? The the woman with the issue of blood. That, that, that comes into that crowd, doesn't need anybody to know that she needs it, but he's the one that actually points her out and wants yeah. her to be dimed out. And I think that is such a prophetic statement in scripture to say, you don't, you may not need to be noticed, but I need to notice you. I wow. need you to know that I notice that you have come and you have, you know, spent everything. And I want you to have this one moment of knowing that in a, in a, crowd full of people that would call you one thing. I'm going to call you out to say, wow. Every, you know what I'm saying? I think that that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an internal thing. I think God's put in us that I, I tell my students all the time that actually insecurity, I think is a gift from God because mm. it can go one of two ways. If it's used as God's uh, God has given it to you as a gift, it actually turns into Humility, because our insecurity should tell us, oh my gosh, I don't think I have the ability to do this. So let me humble myself before the Lord and ask for his help. And all of a sudden that insecurity turns itself into humility. But insecurity that's that runs rampant and, and is allowed to fester actually becomes our pride, right? And yeah. so I I just think it's really good to for us as people who who our, what we do with our hands and what we do with our musical ability and our integrity still has this thing on it that needs to be noticed. And I think that's a yeah. holy thing. It, we want to be credible. You know, I, you know I, I was talking to a very well-known worship leader who released an album and, and it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, this is like your fourth or fifth album. And she's like, it doesn't really matter. Every time you release something, there is that moment of, oh, yeah, but will it be successful? She's, and she made this statement, I think it's my humanity that comes into the recognition that that this is what I, I'm not doing this for this, but this is part of my human feeling is mm -hmm. that I need to, to recognize this feeling's here. It's authentic. And I'm not going to bend toward it and be devastated because it's not going the way we, you know, everybody says it should be going in order to be successful, but it registers in me. I still have the need to be seen. And I thought, wow, that's yeah. actually really great because you probably can't produce something. I can't, you know, write something and get it out there without that just human thing that says, oh, we want this to be successful, but our integrity, our standard of integrity actually brings us back to center that says, but it's not going to change the way that you're loved by God. It's not going to change who you are with, you know, all of what God's given you and to remember that. And I do think that that's a different thing in this generation where there's so much emphasis put on success, success, success. Yeah. And 
when there's a failure in that success, it's almost taken as I'm a nobody, I'm horrible, I'll never amount to anything because there's not a growth of integrity or there's not a a, a quality that's even being taught anymore that he's really the reason, the the award isn't the reason, you know? Yeah. So I think that's where as, as an older person, you know, when you talk about um, what you're doing in mentorship in when you get an artist coming in and you produce them and you parent them and you father them and you disciple them and you pastor them through the process, you're actually giving away some of that integrity to say, hey, don't let this get out from underneath you, that this defines who you are. Because none of our music, I think, defines who we are, right? None of what we've done. We have great resumes, but if those resumes were left to define who we are, I don't know that they would do a do it justice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because to me, it's, a, it's an expression. It's a yeah. shade, you know, or, a, or a, a glimpse, but yeah. not the full definition. Yeah. I just, I, I think that that's so the beauty of maybe being older and, and having the ability to believe in somebody and push them more than you'd even push yourself is, is quite stunning. And I think it's a God factor because when I think of discipleship, you know, Jesus had three years to give those 12 everything that the father had taught him in those three years. And I find that fascinating to replicate that in in the vocations of what we do. You know, that yeah. I, it's not a it's not a textbook. No. And, and one one area where the church has kind of said, OK, we've got to do discipleship. You know, we got to do we have to disciple these people and it becomes this like, here's your manual. And it's really more of a just being around uh, and having conversation. And and I love the turn that a lot of the religious world has taken to just more of a dialogue centered around God and life and and it kind of demystifies it and de, um, it makes it less corporate, you know, um, although I, I love the corporate part of getting together and celebrating yes. God and all that stuff. We need each other. But I don't like the business side of church like, OK, do this manual. And now you've gone through the growth track and now you're discipled. You know? Yeah, yeah. Discipleship, I think, is a is a thing that you just have to recognize who has God brought to me to speak into and to be there for, and sometimes just to listen. And even though I might feel like I have the answer, it's not the right time to give you the answer. And and then to demonstrate through the way that I, being around people enough to let them see, you know, maybe somebody gives me some pushback and I just, I choose to like be gracious towards that person instead of like lashing out and correcting somebody in front of everybody, you know, on stage just give it a minute and be gracious and then go to that person and say, Hey, what's going on? You know, what's, where'd that come from? And it's, it's more, it's, it, everything's personal to me. Everybody mm -hmm. needs it a little different. And so um, when it comes to like mentoring or, you know, it's not like a, it's not a, a robotic or a, this is how you do this. It's kind of this organic thing that just kind of unfolds yeah. as you get into yeah. a relationship with people. Well, what would you say to a new young up and coming artist who wants to produce their first or, or do their first record um, as a producer? What would you, what would you tell them? Like, what would be the first things that you would say, Hey, I, I my first advice to you in 
following through with this record is what? What would you say to, to an artist that wants to make a record, their first record, and wants it to, to be the best of the best? What would you say to them? Um, well, from a music business standpoint, I would say, say, um, and I kind of see it from a music business standpoint, then the actual making of the record and then the after, you know, yeah. but, but from the very beginning, get an understanding of the way the music industry works. Now I see so many people make records and then it's like, now what, you right. know, they release it wrong. They don't know how the algorithms work with Spotify and they haven't done their homework on that side of it. So find somebody that's independent and being successful at it. Most of these guys or girls have videos and things out there where you can get educated on the way this thing works or find somebody that knows how it works and and pay to have a consultation with a, you know, a publishing administrator, somebody that knows you know, how your, what your release schedule should look like, how, how many singles you should release, that kind of thing. Then um, on the actually making the record, if you don't know how to do everything yourself, you know, a producer that has experience making records can, can look at the entire big picture, everything from like the kind of the administrative side of like pulling this, what's your goal, what's your vision? Okay, I see what you want to do. We can accomplish that, just me and you and a computer and a keyboard and samples. Or, you know, we need to bring in some people to do this if you really want to have the most impact. And then being open to, maybe I'm not ready to do an album. Maybe I need to do a single or maybe I need to do an EP. You know, listen to people that can look at what you're doing and say, this is where you're at. This will be a stepping stone to your next season. Accept that and let's do the most that we can do right now based on where you are as an artist and as a writer and move from there. You know, you got to look at your, how much money you have to spend. And if you've got, you know, 10 grand and you want to make a a whole record, then you're going, okay, now I can spend a thousand dollars total per song. Do I really need a record or could do, I want to do like two or three songs and really make them awesome. You know, being flexible and knowing let's have a little bit of success now and build towards the future of this thing. And then from a spiritual standpoint, uh, I would, I go back to the humility thing. Ever since we started talking about that, yeah. it's just been like pulsating on the inside of me, you know, God exalts the humble. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the false humility that you see a lot of times in, mm-hmm. especially in worship circles. I'm talking about actual humility that, um, that says, I don't know it all. I do know some things and I am confident in who I am in Christ and how he's gifted me. But man, I have a friend that runs a multi-million dollar company and People come in and they want a promotion. And he tells them, I don't promote anybody. Mm-hmm. People promote themselves. You know, and by that, he means like, work hard, do your job. You're going to stand out. You're going to promote yourself. You know, let me yeah. look at your stats. And with God, it's not like we're earning something. from. We're not earning his favor or right. earning his, right. his blessing. But he's looking at us and going, what can I trust you with that you won't destroy yourself if I give it to you right yeah. now? And no, God's system of promotion is humility. Be humble. Look for somebody that you can serve. Look for somebody that you can give to. Look for volunteer opportunities to support another artist. Be there for them when they release their music, you know, and and so towards what you want. You know, that humility thing is a big deal. So, you know, be driven and be confident and and secure in who you are and in your gift, but also be humble and be a servant. And if you're like, you, you kind of tapped into on, I don't know that new artists should actually put out a whole record. I think 
just this few songs, like, like you're saying, like just, it, it doesn't take as much money, um, to make if you're doing it on your own, if you're, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could do it in a lot of, a lot cheaper ways, but I think you're right. It's like, if you're going to, if you're going to spend any money at all, spend it on less, um, as opposed to thinking, Oh, I got to put out this whole record. Mm -hmm. Um, nothing is really, I don't, I don't, I mean, looking at the way that we're downloading, the way that we're streaming, a whole album streaming is very rare, but, but singles that are streaming, I think have better, better traction. And I, I, I agree with that. I think with a new artist, it's like, man, if you got even three or four really good songs. Mm-hmm. And be looking for the future, you know, the consistency, consistency is just the name of the game. Yeah. Now, you know, a few, just a few years ago, my son had no monthly listeners, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, you know, he just, as a matter of fact, last month he hit 500,000 monthly listeners on Spotify and he hit a hundred thousand, uh, subscribers on YouTube yesterday. Wow. And, but it, he's been consistent. He has put out so much content. You Google John Michael Howell, there's only one John Michael Howell, you know, although yeah. I'm sure there are many, but have a plan as an artist. You can't think I'm going to do this one thing, this one record and that's going to get me on the map. Have a plan to be consistent in what you're putting out because the algorithms, nobody's sitting at Spotify for the most part going, hmm, what song should I push? No, there's a robot that's looking at, okay, this person like this, this person like this. Well, maybe we should suggest this artist to these other people that like this artist. Okay, it got a few more likes this time. It's an algorithm. And so know that it's the long game. Yeah. You know, outside of that one a a gazillion chance that you have something that pops. But um, know that the building that long tail of consistency, if you're a songwriter, if you're an artist, you are going to create and you're going to write. Be in it for the long haul and don't have unrealistic expectations of I'm going to write this. I'm going to release this one single and it's going to be number one in the world next month, you know, (laughs) know that it's a, it's a long process and have a plan for when I get done with this, this is what I'm going to do. Even, even going and writing down where I want to be a year from now, how much music do I have? Do I want to have released? What's my plan for getting the money together for that? Go to two years, go to three years, go to five years and have a plan looking forward knowing I'm going to be working towards this. If something pops and happens that's that, you know, blows you up and that, great. But that mentality of like the American Idol thing, it all happens in a second. I get my big break. I think that that's robbed a lot of artists mm-hmm. of of the um, reality that this is actually work too. The difference is you get to you get to work and do what you love. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. What... You know, as as we wrap up here, what are what's what's the most exciting thing you're working on now? Um, finishing up a project that I did with my family. We recorded uh, sixteen or eighteen songs out in our yard with a bunch of friends. About two hundred friends came oh out, so gosh. we recorded some original <laughs> songs. So we did volume one last year, and I'm I'm finishing up volume two, doing some overdubs and some mixing, and then the mentorship thing, like seeing the younger generation of. I, I got to speak it uh, on a Sunday morning at our church recently. My son was there leading worship. I looked up there and it's like, man, everybody on stage is like in their twenties. And yeah. I'm just thinking, this is the goal. I was, yes. I was overcome with such a feeling of just fulfillment. I love 
being a father. I love fathering. Only fathers can father. And if there's anybody out there that's in those 40s, 50s, 60s age age group, you know, you'll never not be a son. We're always sons, but only a father can father. Find those people to, it is so life-giving to me to pull on that next generation and see them take their place. So I'm really excited about more opportunities to do that and just seeing the fruit. What an honor too, to hear you say that, because, you know, it's, I hate to, I hate to verbalize it, but really the whole beauty of mothering and fathering a new generation is, is not popular. You know, it's hard to find the mothers (laughs) and fathers. And I, I find it so interesting because, you know, my whole last almost two decades has been about parenting and mothering another generation. And I can't find a lot of moms, you know, and I can't find a lot of dads. And I do think it's, it's one of the most lost arts in the church. So it, it, it blesses me to hear you say that because it is one of the most powerful things I've ever done with my life. Absolutely. Is to breathe on another generation and to actually, like you said, look on stage and be like almost giddy that there are 22 year olds (laughs) and 18 year olds and 24 year olds up there doing the thing and never once think about the fact that you're not up there with them or that you're not getting to leave. It's, it really is the most exhilarating feeling that I think is just a supernatural gift from God. That's like, it's beautiful. And so it's really, it's really amazing to hear somebody else say that because it's not a conversation that I have a lot with a lot of people because it just it's a lost art. It's a, just a lost art. I, I I just there's so much to family, man. I, yeah. I I say this all the time. God's dream is family. Yeah. From the very beginning, you know, when Jesus came to to reveal God in the in the purest, clearest way, he used family language. You know, he talked about. You know, he called God my father, and nobody had done that yeah. yet. And that's really what ticked everybody else. And he used. Oh, not this daughter of Abraham. You know, there was this family language to to what he was saying. And I believe that that's, that should be, as the body of Christ should be our language. And it's not like this new thing of like, oh, we're all family. It's That's the way God designed this whole thing to work is, is in that realm of family. And what better example than our Father God yeah. to know like, man, I can, I can take on the nature of, of of my father and be a father here on earth in the way that he's fathered me, but I can actually put my hands on people and get in their world and and encourage them and be what he's been to me. It's just a it's a beautiful thing. I love love having that that framework of family yeah. around everything that I do, from the studio to the church, whatever. I, I love that, Michael. I so appreciate that in you. And I think it's it's also a power source of of integrity. I think sometimes integrity is birthed through the real sense of of the con- those concepts of family and oneness yeah. and and true unity. So I thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for even huh, thanks for being willing to get up early in the morning and do this. <laughs> By the way, I think, it's, I think it maybe earlier than for you than it no, is no, for no, me. because I'm actually later than you. I'm I'm on the oh east. okay. I'm, on, I'm I'm on east. Eastern Standard Time today. Absolutely, my pleasure. It's your birthday today too, right? And you, it is. Yes, it is. Happy birthday! Thank you. What are you going to do for your birthday today? I I think we're going to go bowling. Oh, hey, well, (laughs) with the with the family, it's a big deal to get everybody together now. Everybody's so busy, 
but we're going to go bowling and go eat pizza or something. Oh, that's great. I love Later that. on. And let me say, Rita, what an honor to get to talk to you. You're one of my heroes. Oh, you're so um, sweet. Just a quick story. We, my wife and I stumbled into a breakout session at Gateway's oh, worship conference, like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And I just, I sat there while you were talking and cried. What, did, what was I talking was, about? I don't. You told some, the, the story that comes to mind, I yeah. don't want to say, but you were talking about this, about seeing your dad get alone with God oh, yeah. and just the way that things mm-hmm. all wove together in that. I just thought it was just like this dump of like authenticity in this environment of this mega church. Yeah. It was like, it was the gold for us during that conference was, was in that tent. And there was just such a great impartation from you in our journey to be That's our so authentic sweet. selves, who God created us to be. And so you're, you're an amazing, amazing um, carrier of God's light. Mm. And uh, so what an honor to I get so to talk to you and be on here Thank today. You. Do you, you guys don't still go to Gateway though, do you? We're, we're actually at a, at not a small church, you know, a few hundred people out in Bridgeport, Texas. Okay. Um, uh, we drive about 35 or 40 minutes every Sunday to get out there, but you know, it reminds me of church when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, lots yeah. of beards and farmers yeah. and tattoos, and <laughs> do they still do, it's do a lot potlucks of after Sunday sometimes? We the men's group just had a brisket class on oh, Sunday night. That's <laughs> so, perfect in Texas. Food is always, you know, a big part of what's going oh, on yeah. out there. Well, so good to talk to you. Have the best birthday ever with your you family. You too. Thank today. you. And um, thank you. Yeah, thanks for just giving us sharing um, sharing your production wisdom with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, bye bye.